The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin's tough 2-1 loss in Minnesota. We'll preview the big LAFC showdown this weekend, and we have a very special interview with MLSsoccer.com's Andrew Wiebe. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I am Jeremiah Bentley, and I was reading back some MoonTowerSoccer.com, which is a site everybody should visit with frequent, I've heard of that. frequency. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed that the... Uh, word Rigoni has appeared in the headline for the last six episodes. I'm and predicting so, a seventh. And we're predicting a seventh. And we'll see where it goes from here. I feel like maybe next week we won't see Rigoni in, but let's maybe cover the Rigoni news since you were you were there, right? On a Sunday morning when the man came into, came into town, showed up at the Fairmont Hotel. That's right. We got there Sunday morning, but... Um, I, I guess his flight was a little delayed and ended up being Sunday afternoon before we actually saw him, but got to hang out and talk to talk to some other fans and friends. So uh, it ended up being a really good time. And the man arrived. He's as beautiful in person as he is on TV, uh, has uh, a beautiful family. I think it, he pulled up, pulled up in a minivan. And I'm not sure if that was just like the only car that they could hire that would fit everyone that's with him. It's him and his wife and two kids. They're probably like, I don't know, seven or eight, and then four or five is the younger one. And then um, there's another woman that was there. I'm not sure of his family or something. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting to see them pull up in a minivan. But then whenever they walked past everybody, he, like, I don't know. I don't, like, he kind of acted like he didn't know how to act and just, like, walked past everybody and waved and smiled, but then just, like, went inside the hotel. (laughs) And I think they had to kind of tell him, like, no, no, come back out and say it. Like, come talk to the fans. They want to hear from you. And I don't know if... uh, like, I don't know, he's in a hurry or if it's more of a thing like him playing in Argentina and in Russia. And he's like, these people might kill me if I stand out here for too <laughs> <All> long. <right. laughs> so did he, he look like he, he got like a little megaphone and said a few words or something. Is that, is that what I saw? Yeah. Yeah. It said a, a, a few little, nothing, nothing special, a few little platitudes. We're going to try to do as good as we can. I'm happy to be here. Yada, yada. But all, all the nice. stuff athletes say, yeah. Um, and you, I saw you signing a soccer ball for a fan. Are you a celebrity now too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeremy, who um, I think Mike Ellison of Swoon Tower had already signed it. So I guess I'm almost as famous as Mike now, but uh, it was very, uh, very flattering. Thanks, Jeremy, for making me feel like a celebrity for half a second. Uh, and just know that one day in the future, that signature is going to be worth absolutely nothing just like it is right now absolutely it's constant value and then today we had two bits of news one thing is he he showed up in training and we found out his number um and then he also had a press conference this afternoon um which we can share some highlights from but also was it the first was the juicy press conference stream too just on the on the website like i don't necessarily remember a player press conference being available to the public like that but maybe i'm wrong the juicy one I think was streamed. Okay. Okay. If not streamed, it was put out afterwards, but I kind of think it was streamed. I could be wrong. Um, so but what what were your main takeaways from today beyond just the average, you know, I'm a player, we're going to work hard and try hard and all that kind of stuff. But what did you learn about Rigoni from watching today? Well, I was a little bit frustrated because the uh, the Spanish language interpreter was not like saying everything word for word. And so you'd hear, 
we're going to talk about what position he liked to play. And the interpreter essentially say, oh, he, he plays right wing. It's like, no, he said quite a few other things there. Um, but one of which, asking about his number, actually, they asked why, somebody asked why 77. I, maybe it was Phil West. I can't remember who asked the question, but um, he, he essentially said, like, I was going to be number 10. And then uh, found out, like, for whatever reason, that wasn't going to be available. And then they gave me 21. I didn't like 21. And I've already played a season in 77 at Sao Paulo and did well. And so I decided to go with that one again. But that was kind of an interesting little turn there. I've I've heard a couple of theories and haven't been able to confirm any of them. So maybe like Drew C will eventually transition to number 10. But then I also heard that maybe it's a thing with we've already had a number 10 registered this season and we can't have another one for whatever reason. I don't know. But in any case, I'm excited he's going to be number 77. Um, are, Jeremiah, are you uh, an, a shirt number purist? Or do you like shirt number chaos like I do? Oh, that's a that's a good question. I mean, like, I do you a, want your best player to be number ten? I do. It's easier, um, <laughs> for sure. But I am not as much of a shirt number purist. I think in soccer, uh, as I may be in other sports. Like I, I hate the trend in the National Football League of wide receivers not wearing numbers in the eighties for some reason. But I kind of like okay, so I like the randomness of it. I think if every if every player just like started choosing numbers willy nilly, you know, no matter what, I probably wouldn't like it very much. But the fact that like you can generally kind of know what people are going to wear, and like you have the occasional outlier, I think that I enjoy that part of it. Yeah, I I agree with that because it's not as much fun if everybody's a weird number, right? It's, right. I feel like the NBA is a little bit like that now. Um. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan. I was really sad when Jite changed from 99 to 2. I was hoping he'd stay number 99, and I'm very excited to have number 77. That was my high school football number also. Oh, nice. Well, there you go. You you guys have something in common. Um, what was this <laughs> That's stuff? the only thing the we only have thing. in common. <laughs> what was this quote about L.A.? Is he afraid to play in L.A.? Yeah, this was great. It was so good. So I, I think he was like somewhat unprompted as well, kind of asking you about timeline when he's going to be ready to play. And he finished his statement with uh, no me asusta Los Angeles para nada, which is like, I'm not afraid of Los Angeles at all. And then this smile just kind of like slowly came over his face. And it's like, yes, I love this. This is great. Like, yeah, essentially he's like, put me in. I'll, I'll play this weekend. I'm not afraid of these guys. Well, that doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility, right? I mean, uh, that we might see, I mean, he's not going to start. I don't think that would be out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. But I can't. I think there's no reason to believe he, we can't see a few minutes out of him. And I feel like somebody indicated that. Even I remember if somebody talking to Bills or Josh Wolf. I mean, in the in the press conference said like it's going to depend on what the next few days training look like. And I I believe that. Like I know that often he'll be coy about certain things because he doesn't want you to know, which is fair. But I, I think in this case, like I think that's true. Like. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he loved for Rigoni to be available and to be like clocking the system really well in two or three days. But maybe we get to Thursday and he's still just like not comfortable, not like fully fit, not looking good in, in training, and it's not worth it. But um, I would, I, you'd have to think that if he's even like 60, 70 percent ready to go, he'll be on the bench and ready to to give 10 or 15 minutes if he needs to. 
Yeah, whether whether we see a lot of it or not, I think that's probably the case. So in, in other Austin FC news, uh, Irvin Torres got another youth national team call-up. I think he has two U15 call-ups. He's now aged out of that group and got a U16 call-up. Um, Irvin Torres is one of these guys. He he was on the U15 team last year, and I had not watched the 15s as much as I had the U17s. And so when he got the the national team call up, I, I think maybe you asked me about it, like what what this kid looked like. And I was like, honestly, I don't know because I haven't watched him that much. But now I've gotten to see him play a few times. He's like, um, I don't really know what kind of player to compare him to, but he's like a just like one of those like really smart box to box central midfielder guys. He doesn't do anything super, um, super flashy. So in that intra squad game that they played him and Micah Burton were on the same team and they were like finding each other. So they were, whenever they were moving around the field, you'd always find them kind of next to each other and playing off of each other. But Irvin was the guy playing like the simple one, two back to Micah and then Micah would mega guy or whatever. <laughs> uh, so I think he's like one of those guys that like the game just like moves a little slower for him and he sees, he sees things and just like, I don't know, seems just like an intelligent player that has a nice touch, passes well, uh, knows where to be. And um, as much as I do like the like kind of flashy players, I feel like having these more just like solid, fundamentally sound players is is just as important. And probably guys like that are more likely to go farther and and to kind of make it into a first team than the more flashy guys are. So uh, I'm excited to see more of Irvin this season and see uh, what kind of player he can become playing in this in the U17 team now. Well, do you want to get into this frustrating? I feel like we've covered that. But I feel like frustrating is a term we've used before again, too. This disappointing. Let's go this disappointing match in Minneapolis. I think disappointing is Saint a Paul. good word. This disappointing match in St. Paul against Minnesota United over the weekend. Yeah, so uh, two game ended 2-1. to one. I feel like all three of the goals in this game were kind of stupid for one reason or another. Does that? Feel I think it's right? absolutely fair. Yeah. So the first two are penalties. Um, the first one coming in the 25th minute for Minnesota. Uh, Austin gets one back in stoppage time at the end of the first half. Um, I thought the first half was like actually okay in this game. Uh, it's the same starting eleven as the last few games. But I, f- I feel like some of the players weren't looking as sharp as they have uh, for most of the season. Does that sound right? That's very right. And um, yes, I would agree with that. And so maybe partially due to like slight injury, but overall it was just a subpar performance from several several guys who are usually more reliable. Yeah, I think, I think Finley was a little bit shaky, not as sharp as he has been in recent games. Maxi Ruti looked not as sharp, um, maybe a little bit tired, but also just in, in those moments where you can kind of play the ball into his feet and he'll turn and make something happen with it. He w- didn't seem to be doing that and then seemed to maybe get a little bit tired early on. And then Sebastian Triussi also looked a little bit off his game. He made several poor passes that were just giveaways and turned into transition moments for, for Minnesota. And I think he's he's maybe good for one of those a game, but that's to be expected for a guy who's on the ball as much as he is in most games. But he it was 
I don't know, four or five, six times where he just played a bad pass um, that you don't really expect a guy like him to make. Yeah, I don't feel like I've had this exact sentiment since maybe the Charlotte match, but just it seemed like in the buildup and in, in like in the offensive play, like everything was just a little bit off, right? Their passes were a little bit behind or somebody overran the ball just a hair or it was just like they just seemed to really look disjointed um, in the attack all the way around. And I mean, I, I get like a little bit reminiscent of 2021 where, you know, the opportunities just wouldn't just wouldn't come because there was just always nobody was clicking on all cylinders in terms of being able to connect and, and move the ball around in like a meaningful way. Yeah. And so I, I tweeted before the game started that Minnesota likes to play in like kind of a mid to low block. Most of the time they'll press sometimes, but um, not often. And I, in this game, like they got that one goal and they were already ready to kind of drop it, drop back a bit more and then they also are very good in transition and really dangerous in transition they'll spring the ball to Reynoso and once that guy gets the ball like you don't you don't know what's going to happen he he can kind of do whatever he wants most of the time I thought Austin were actually quite good in in that regard in the first half or for most of it they were doing a really good job of when they did lose the ball people would swarm you'd have Maxi kind of back pressing which he's he's always quite good at that and quite dedicated that kind of back pressing and putting pressure on the ball going the other way. But I thought ring and, and Pereira and everybody was, and even the fullback stepping in, they did a good job of kind of like swarming Minnesota. And if not winning the ball back, at least slowing them down enough for everyone else to kind of recover and get into a shape. And then even whenever Minnesota did break and get a long ball over or something, a good job tracking back and getting numbers into the box to, to disrupt whatever ball was played in. After that first goal, I think it waned a little bit. And then in the second half, I think it got even worse. I think people got tired. Minnesota started sitting back a little bit more and we had to push a little bit more. And then I also think in the first half, Danny Pereira's playing really, um, really confidently with the ball, which I think in a game like this is what we needed. And in the second half, you see him get the ball taken off of him a couple of times in our own half. And I think he kind of lost that confidence, got a little bit tired and wasn't able to do the defensive work as much. And not the only reason we started looking worse, but I think it it contributed to it for sure. So you want to talk about the talk about the goals or at least the the first half, the the first two first two goals, both of which were penalties, both of which were. Very well deserved. Yeah, absolutely. The and like both unfortunate at the same time. Like yes. fairly called, but unfortunate for the guys who they were called against. Um Ethan Finley's it was was this in a transition moment or like on a set piece or something? Do you remember? I don't I don't think it was on a set piece. In any case, a ball came in from outside of the box. I think it was like maybe in a transition moment because that's why he was running back, but a ball gets played into the box and it kind of gets deflected. And Finley is still like kind of sprinting towards the box just to get numbers in the box. And as the ball takes the deflection, Reynoso changes his path to step to just receive the ball. And it's just like one of those things like Finley was already running to the spot where the ball got deflected to and couldn't really stop or change directions at the time and just ran into Reynoso there. 
And I think Reynoso does a good job of selling the contact, but it's it's a, a fair and well-deserved penalty. Just unfortunate. Like, I don't think there's anything you say about that one. Like, somebody should have done something differently. It's just bad, bad situation. It just, yeah, it just, it just was what it was. Now, it's his second game in a row. I think somebody asked us to look up the most uh, games in a row that somebody had conceded a penalty. I have not done that. I don't know how you can find that. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I don't. I'm not sure. FB Ref has that as one that of the categories. But yeah, it's twice where Ethan Finley has made. It was kind of a, a clumsy challenge. It wasn't. Neither one of them were like malicious or aggressive, but they were definitely worthy of, of like worthy of penalty um, penalty kicks in the last two matches. Now, yeah, and then the Austin's penalty was um, a guy sliding in trying to block a cross. And his hand went up in the air and the ball hit him in the hand. And it's like, like, it's one of those, like, what else is he supposed to do? But also if you don't call that, like, what is Austin supposed to do? And so I I think it's like, it sucks, but you have to call it at the same time. The most interesting part of that play for me was like Nick Lima, right winger or whatever he was doing. Like he was dribbling the ball deep in, right? Cause wasn't Lima that had that ball. Yeah. So him and, uh, Ring played him wide and then Ring made a run in behind and he played Ring in. And then I think Ring, like after he played it, Lima steps inside and Ring plays it back to him. And then Lima like tries to dink the ball around the defender and takes a heavy touch, but then realizes nobody else is there. And so he just runs in and gets gets on the ball again anyway. And so like kind of a clumsy touch put him into that really dangerous area in the first place. But then... Yeah, that's when he tries to cross it in is when the handball happens. Uh, so Drusi takes the penalty and scores it, and then he starts running back to midfield and has this big, goofy smile on his face. And him, he goes and immediately starts talking to Reynoso. And like it seems like in the pregame and then during the game, those two were laughing and talking to each other. And like I don't know if they how much they knew each other before or if they just became best friends at the All-Star game, but they seem to be big buddies now. Yeah, they did. They did seem to enjoy each other a lot. And I mean, what a couple of talents. I mean, there were. Yeah. Even Drew, see on an off night, like he and Reynoso were clearly the, like the two best players on the field. It was a delight to to see them. And you can understand why that's kind of uh, who Minnesota United builds around and how they how they live and die is how Babello and Reynoso is doing. Uh, so the goal that made the difference was one of the more frustrating goals Austin FC has conceded uh, ever. And for a pretty familiar reason as well. Well, gosh, Landon, why don't you tell us what that was? <laughs> so Austin FC is playing out of the back. I, th- I think it was from a goal kick, which they'll just kind of, Stuver will tap it to a center back and they are essentially trying to get the defense to react and move. Um, Oftentimes they're able to play it around those guys and get out. And it seemed like we were like, we would get out of it and then just kind of like play another backward pass and get back into it again. But anyway, Stuver ends up with the ball and has Julio kind of tracking across the the box and he plays it forward to Julio. I, that pass, I did not think it was a particularly risky or dangerous pass given the way Austin plays. But then Cascante just continues to dribble and just takes a few touches. I guess he didn't see Franco Fragapane tracking behind him because he's getting closer and closer. And Julio is acting like he has all the time in the world. Fragapane reaches a foot in, 
pokes the ball away, gets it on the other side of, of Cascante and then chips Stuver. And it's, it's just one of those, you like Cascante, I thought was quite good for the rest of the game or yeah. before then, but he, he just seems to have one of those in him every so often that it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. I was, I was taking notes as we were as going along since I was watch, just watching it at the house and I had like uh Cascante has been making all the right decisions all night. And then I had to add like, and until he didn't at that, that point yeah. on that one, that was also, a, if you don't follow this uh, Twitter account, uh, what is it? When playing it out of the bat goes wrong, <laughs> which is a W P I O whatever the first letters of all those are like, that was the poster child for that, uh, for that kind of, that kind of account definitely showed up. It's not the first time we've been on that account either. Jeremiah. <laughs> it is not. So, Talking about Julio Cascante, I've I've seen people since this game talking about like Austin going shopping, trying to replace Cascante. We talked about this last week on the game, right? Like, I think Julio Cascante is what he is. He's uh, an asset in the attack. He moves the ball really well, plays good passes, a dangerous on set pieces in the box. Uh, but he is prone to this error defensively every once in a while. And this is a thing that Austin FC knows. I think like if this is the bed that Austin FC have made, they have to score goals. And right. so like if we're just going to concede that, okay, we're going to give one of these up every once in a while, we can't just score one goal and it be on a penalty. And I think that is where, uh, we're we're going to talk to Andrew Weeby in a bit. We're talk, we talked to him a little bit about kind of where Austin FC is still lacking. And I think that is a space where we are still lacking, where it's it's pretty much only Drew Uzi who's creating those goals on his own at times. And even then, I think he like he's not even as much of a guy to create moments out of nothing as, say, Reynoso is. Drew C is kind of a, a part of a system, a very, very good part of a system, but kind of needs a bit more of a system to create those moments. This is kind of where I'm hoping Rigoni can step in and be a really big asset for this team. So I'll take the positive side of this and say that I think this is something I read from Chris Bill. So this is the first time since May 8th, I think, that Austin hasn't scored in like the general run of play. So, um, you know, like if you throw the PK goal out, you know, then, then that's where we did it. And also, I mean, we're still, Austin's still tied with Los Angeles on with 55 goals for the whole league. So hopefully it was a little bit of an anomaly in, in Minnesota. One other thing that I think I noticed that came up a little bit was like the field, the grass seemed long. The field seemed slow and like slippery, Ethan, right? Cause like, uh, Drew Ethan Finley went down. said that in the, um, in his post game interview. And then, yeah, lots of players were like slipping and falling in this game. Yeah. Cause like that Drew going down, that was late in the first half, right? Kind of going right. down on no contact. I think every Austin fan had like a brief moment of prayer or silent reflection or, or terror when that happened. And luckily it turned out to be, I mean, he got back on the field and seemed okay after that it turned out to be not that, not that big of a deal, but you talk about a season changing thing. If, if he goes down, it would have been awful. Yeah, absolutely. That was very scary. But um, like looking at a game like this, I think part of what Austin has trouble with is going back to why I think Rigoni might be 
not the answer, but part of the answer to Austin becoming a more complete team is like Austin creates system chances and they're very good at it. I think Josh Wolf has built this, this group to, to around that, like using the system to create chances. But in a moment where you're down a goal and you have a team bunkering back, a, mind you, a good team, a team that's in really good form, had a really good game plan against us and executed against it very well. But whenever that team is bunkering against you and you're having just a, some players a little bit off, you have Aruti and Drewusi and, and whoever else not playing as sharp as, as they normally do. Having someone that can just take a guy one-on-one and just like open up space by himself. Like Reynoso does that a thousand times a game. Austin doesn't really have a guy that does that. Drewsy's not even really that guy. And this is what I was talking about, like system creation versus individual creation. And I think Rigoni is a guy who can individually create. He's got the, like the touch and the skill to be able to dribble around a guy. We have guys who can do that, but in combination with that, he's also fast, which all of our guys who have, who are very skillful are not necessarily very fast. And so to have a guy who can stretch the line, who can take somebody one-on-one and when they beat them one-on-one can outrun them and make their own space. We just don't have that right now. And it shows in moments where we're chasing a game against a bunkering team and crossing the ball in isn't working. Uh, playing through isn't working. We just need someone to just beat a guy and then kind of break a defense that way and then use the system, your spacing, your instincts that have been baked into you from playing in the system. Then you can kind of use that to create the goal. But to have a guy who can just break a line by himself would make a difference in this team. Well, do you want to... So speaking of people who can't do that and don't make a difference in this team. You want to talk about Ruddy Redis, <laughs> dancing Rodney Redis? I was going to have an yes. elegant transition into this, and I'm like, you know what? Let's just, we're just going to throw this topic out there. Yeah, so so Washington Caruso was not available in this game. He had um, an injury. I think they said a, a hip injury. Does not right. seem it like it's serious, so hopefully he'll be back soon because he was listed as questionable before the game, not even completely like on the out list. Uh, so hopefully he'll be back soon. But that means on the wing, the options for subs were Rodney Redes and Owen Wolf, who, like we talked about, is not really a winger. And so whenever we needed to make subs, that was kind of it. That's who we had to put in, right? Yep. That's yeah. That that was it. So I think the subs were well. Yeah, who's and Ferruti makes sense. Um. Yeah, and then Wolf and Redes came in and did did not change the game. It's like that's. Something with Kuroso and with Rigoni, hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll have the kind of depth that we can do that. So there's this like moment where Rodney gets the ball um, in kind of on the edge of the box and just dances around it a lot, a little bit. And I don't know what the defender was thinking because the defender's just kind of standing there and looking at him, like bouncing back and forth, and finally just pokes the ball away. And it seemed, it seemed like it was working for the first couple of seconds, right? Yeah, for a minute it did. Yeah, he, yeah but then he kind of stepped like, but it was with no intent. He kind of, he just kind of kept stepping back it, and forth over the ball. Did it four or too five long. Times. And like, there was a, a point where the defender like kind of like, 
he got the defender with a fake and some space opened up. And I was like, there, like poke it, like yeah. just chip it up far post. And he just kept dancing. <laughs> so that, so that, that led to a whole bunch of uh, video memes. Like if you see it set to Yakety Sax or um, the Curb Your Enthusiasm thing, I think theme, I think yeah. it was the last one that saw it. They're all very entertaining. Um, but Chris Bills and some others, I think, thought that maybe the fans had taken that too far on Rodney. And so I kind of wanted to spend a, maybe a minute or two on that. How, how do you feel about the response? Yeah, I mean, I um, I think I, like, for the most part, side with Chris on this one. Like, for the points he's making, I think there's some some counterpoints that are also valid that, like, it's not really Rodney Redis's fault. And I don't think that we should be mad at or mean to Rodney Redes necessarily. Um, at the same time, it was very funny. And I think <laughs> that specific moment is funny. And I think it's like, okay to laugh about that. Um, but at the same time, like, I think it's like, you can be frustrated at not having better options or when we do have better options, Wolf still choosing to play Redes, but I, I don't think we should like be mad at Rodney Redes necessarily. I guess it's where I, that, I would take the other side of that and say, I don't see that anybody's like is mad at Rodney Redes. Like nobody's threatening to burn down his house or like beat him up on the street or whatever. Like generally the, the attitude is that was hilarious and he kind of sucks and we hopefully don't see him play anymore. <laughs> but like, I don't feel like Rodney Redis is being personally attacked. And I, see, I saw a lot of people who were defending like Rodney using like the term vitriol. And I don't know. I don't, I don't see anything that anybody has said about Rodney. I don't read every single, well, I may probably do read every single tweet about Austin FC, but close to it. Like I haven't seen a lot of vitriol. I think it's like the people are frustrated because like they're sports fans. And they're frustrated. And I think a lot of those people like me who never want to see him on the field again would also like blow the roof off Q2 if in some moment he scored. So I think it, I think we do keep it all to soccer, and I don't think it's like personal and vitriolic, and like I don't. So I don't think I don't think it's a valid criticism of the fan response. I guess is is my position on it. Yeah, I think that's totally fair, and I think that's like uh, one of the the good things, like one of the luxuries of being a good team this year, is that if we have one player who's not good, like we can kind of make a joke out of it instead of actually being angry about it. And I'm much ha- I'm like happy to be in that place as opposed to where we were in parts of the season last year. Yeah, well, there were so many people we could say that about last year too. But yeah, I agree with that too. So one of the I guess silver linings again, which I think happened a few weeks ago when we lost or drew whatever it was, is that only two teams in the top eleven spots in the Western Conference didn't drop points which is kind of amazing, but Minnesota didn't drop points and Nashville didn't drop points. And so looking at the table, Minnesota is now uh, up to fourth place. Nashville's up to sixth place, but everybody else in the top 11 spots, including LAFC above us, dropped points. And so <clears throat> once again, a, a disappointing result, a dis- disappointing performance by Austin FC, but in the end, it probably doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter in the real world. I think but, but when you saw LA um, lost, like that, did, did that give you comfort or did that make you frustrated that Austin didn't pick up points? I think actually I'm probably a little more frustrated that Austin yeah. didn't because like that's the only way that Austin is going to catch LA at this point. LAFC both have played 26 games and they are 
nine points ahead of Austin. Austin is six points ahead of FC Dallas, but FC Dallas has played two more games than Austin and are seven points ahead of Minnesota in fourth place who are equal on games. So um, I, I like I'm, if we keep losing games, I'll start to be concerned about the people below. But the only way we're ever going to catch LAFC is if they lose a bunch and we win a bunch. And the fact that they lost and we didn't didn't win is like a little bit frustrating. But um, in the end, like the table kind of shook out pretty well for us again. Yeah, I feel I feel the exact same way. Like we went into the night most likely hosting a two versus seven match at home. And left the night most mostly, you know, with a great opportunity of hosting a two versus seven match at home. Like that didn't change at all. And I guess I'm happy that LA lost. Like, and we did we didn't completely lose touch with them. But it does it does take a little bit out of the game uh, on Friday that, that we don't have that opportunity. But you're right. I mean, and ultimately in the grand scheme, like we're we're still in really good shape to host a home playoff match against the seventh place team, whoever it might be, and like whoever it might be all the way down to what. Seven through eleven are separated by two points. Yeah, four four teams on the outside of the playoffs right now that within two points of the playoff line, including Vancouver, who's exactly tied with LA. Yeah, it really could be. Um, I say anybody, but any of those, however many teams, it, yeah, probably that top eleven, really, right? Like anybody below us could end up in any of those other nine spots, probably. Yeah, it's wild. It's crazy how competitive the Western Conference is. And so, ultimately, right now, Austin still controls its own fate, right? Because not only the LAFC match coming up, once we get through that, but we've also got Portland and Nashville. Um, I know, I believe the next two matches, maybe not, maybe it's not Nashville. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Portland and Nashville, the next two. So, you know, we we control our own destiny in terms of like where we finish in the table and how the rest of the Western Conference shakes out. All right, I think we should take a quick break, Jeremiah. We'll come back and we'll do a preview of the big game against LAFC coming up this Friday, a weird Friday game. And then we have a great interview with uh, bonus guest Andrew Wiebe, and we had a lot of fun with that, so I think you all are going to enjoy that. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Moon Tower Soccer. Tower Soccer will continue to do more ticket giveaways throughout the rest of the season thanks to Sage Wilson Property Group. To enter, go to MoonTowerSoccer.com, then click on Free Ticket Giveaway in the top navigation bar or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And they're real fans too, right? Was Eric at the, uh, was, was Eric at the Fairmont? Yeah, he was at the the Ragoni welcome welcome event. He was out there and got to chat with him for a bit. But yeah, he's big time Austin FC fan, big time soccer guy. So uh, if you want a soccer person helping you out in your uh, in your real estate search, he's the, he's your guy. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You may know them best as Aaron Von Flatern and Josh Fogelman, who is better known as Zach Fogelman's little brother. Um, 18 months younger and inferior in every way is what Zach, who gives me free beer, <laughs> has told me. So I felt like I needed to drop that into the ad read. 
You can go to fbf.law to find out what makes FBF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, we are back. We're going to preview the upcoming match against LAFC. This is one versus two, a really big match, some big stars coming to town. Uh, Jeremiah, do you want to kind of set the table as to where, like, what LAFC looks like right now? Yeah, let's talk about where they are. They they look like a team that seems to be violating all the roster rules with no repercussions. <laughs> um, bringing in international talent every day uh, and maybe more on the way, right, if Ryan Rodriguez goes out. Um, but they are currently first in the West. We just talked about this. They're nine points ahead of Austin. They have 55 goals, four and 26 against. So they have a goal differential of 19, which is actually not the highest in the league. Philadelphia, um, which Doyle will talk about with their defense, has like a better goal differential. But still, they're very strong leaders in the Supporters' Shield. They've won three out of their last four league matches. Um, so they're on a hot streak. But I was just looking back on this. I kind of forgot about it, but I think one of Austin's most impressive wins this year was in the middle of the week at Bank of California Stadium, um, 2-1 back in May, where Ruben Gabrielson and uh, Diego Fagundes both scored for a victory. So Austin has maybe a blueprint for how to defeat LA, but they're going to need to play a little bit uh, better than they've played over the last few weeks in order to pull that off. So why don't you maybe talk about how LA plays and what folks should look for? Yeah, so part, one thing I'm kind of nervous about is LAFC doing the same thing to us that we did to them in that game because Austin sat a little bit deeper, didn't expose themselves as much, and um, kind of hit LAFC on the counter sometimes. And LAFC have the ability to do that. They have a pretty strong back line in midfield defensively. They like to get out and play as well and can leave themselves open at times, but... Uh, if like, I think they would be very good if they're trying to save legs to like, uh, be conservative with points on the road against a good Austin team. It wouldn't shock me to see them sit a little bit and kind of like clamp down on Austin and then hit on the counter, which is, uh, a proven strategy at this point, right? Like other teams have done it to pretty good effect at times against Austin. So I also wouldn't be surprised to just see them come out and say like, no, we're not, we know you're second place, but we're not afraid of you and just play their game. And so as far as like what they'll do against Austin, uh, defensively, like even if they don't sit back, like if they're playing whatever team at home, they don't usually press super high, but they still get a lot of pressure on the ball once it is kind of played past their line of confrontation. So uh, Ilya Sanchez it has been their six, uh, a former Kansas City player. He's been very good, and he's he's really good with the ball, just like a really good passer of the ball. He's not really a ball-winning six. Um, he, he does have really good positioning, puts himself in good spots, reads plays really well. And then also has two really aggressive and and dynamic players next to him in um, Cifuentes and Acosta are are normally the players playing next to him. So even though he's not a ball winner, those other two guys are and then are really dynamic in getting the ball forward once they do turn it over. So um, that worries me about LAFC. Not not to mention they have Chicho Arango, who's been scoring a goal in pretty much every game he's played for the last 10 games. 
uh, a guy named Carlos Vela, usually starting on the right wing yeah, for them. He's okay. And then guys like uh, Giorgio Chiellini and Gareth Bale have not even been on the uh, the roster for a few of the last few games just because they're resting. I'm like, oh, we don't need these guys to win. These are luxury guys for us. So I am curious to see how they are used in the game against Austin. They haven't played much in the last handful of games. And like I said, and sometimes we're just left off completely with the game against us on Friday. And then they go to Houston on Wednesday. You'd have to think like you'd think they would use these guys in to some effect in one of these games, just because of the congestion. And it wouldn't surprise me to see one or both of those guys start against us, or if not start, like maybe Chiellini starts and you bring Bale off early in the second half um, just as like kind of a change of pace after wearing Austin down a little bit, but they've got a lot of weapons to use against us. Yeah. If you just look at this, like go to any MLS soccer.com or wherever and look at this, uh, look at the roster. Like there's depth that nobody else has uh, up and down this club. So it will be judging from the seat geek prices. It'll be, you know, the most in-demand game maybe that Austin FC has ever played beyond the first one, beyond a Friday night, which you said was different and interesting. Oh, and we will be doing a live... We can we can say this, right? Yeah, I think so. I think. Okay, yeah, we're going to be doing a, like, a reaction show 30 minutes-ish after the game ends uh, from Hop Squad. So we'll we'll go live on the Strikers website um, and do that after the match. So hopefully it would be a joyful, slightly intoxicated post-game uh, interview show and not a sad and morose and you know we're gonna slide down to not hosting a playoff a first round home playoff match kind of show in any case like this is it's an exciting moment for austin to kind of like be i I don't think this one is on national tv for whatever reason but it is kind of like the spotlight of the league this week or one of them uh to have one versus two in the west come together lafc coming to uh austin's home stadium where the atmosphere, if not the results, has still been very, very good. And to bring these new stars that they've been signing into Austin, um, it's it's exciting. And it's like cool to be for this team to be like the center stage in the league at this moment. So I think if for nothing else, like we can enjoy that part of the spectacle. And even if the if the result doesn't go Austin's way to just kind of I don't know, enjoy the ride a little bit. Yeah, and hopefully this will be the first of what becomes sort of a routine, right? That, that you know, Austin will be a little more, um, this is exciting, and hopefully it'll be a little, you know, just to be, not that it'll ever get, never get like routine and boring, but just like this is, won't be a once in a lifetime experience. But uh, as we build this roster, maybe we'll like, we'll continue to have these types of matches that we can all get fired up about too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get to that interview with Andrew Wiebe. So a lot of you, uh, probably know him from extra time in his work with MLSsoccer.com. Other of you, others of you who don't listen to that show haven't been paying to MLS, paying attention to MLS for very long. Maybe just know him for being an Austin FC troll for a while this year. Um, in any case, like Andrew has been covering the league for a long time, knows a lot about it. I, I really respect him and his work. And everything he's he's been able to do in his work uh, f- for this league and about this league, so I was excited to get to talk to him. Um, if you're if you're an Andrew Weepy hater, I would uh, 
I would say give him a chance. He's a good dude. But if nothing else, he he also just really enjoys the banner. So if if you want to be a hater, keep it coming because that's fun too. Yeah, I was, if you were looking for like Andrew Wigby to come in and you know talk about how Austin fans are awful and terrible and like it sucks and become some kind of like heel, you will probably be di- probably be disappointed in this interview. If you think like maybe he's like a charming guy who knows what he's doing on Twitter, you you'll probably get what you expect out of it. <laughs> All right, well, we are going to take a short break. We'll come back with that interview with Andrew Weavey. I ain't got no time to let you pass. I only got one life, and it's gone too fast. All right, we are now very excited to be joined by the host of Extra Time and a contributor, contributor for many things, MLS, you all know him and maybe love him, maybe not, from Twitter, but his name is Andrew Weeby. Andrew, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, boy. The uh, the gamut of emotions. We're going to run through them. I, I've felt them on Twitter. I have uh, I have giggled. I have chuckled. I have thrown, thrown my head back in horror at some of the <laughs> things that have come through from Austin Twitter this year, and I have never not been entertained. So uh, thank, thank you, all of the listeners, for that. Anyone who's dropped in my mentions, Anyone who's had fun or have been very concerned about my use of the term bonus game, uh, I love you. I appreciate you. You make my uh, my online life uh, fuller than it was. <laughs> so going back through the whole bonus game saga, um, it's been, like you said, like a, a tumultuous and eventful relationship with Austin FC fans. Uh, just walk us through like maybe the highlights, lowlights. Where did it all start and where has it come now? <laughs> I, I think we just start with the origins of bonus game, right? Like that's kind of the beginnings of all this. Cause I didn't really, I'm going to say that, you know, it was like we were acquaintances before that. Like we knew each other, we knew of each other, but we weren't, you know, we'd like see each other at parties and like head nod, but it, you know, it wasn't like a close thing. Uh, and the bonus game thing just cemented the relationship. And now it's, it's almost, I feel like we're never, we can never go back. Honestly, the bonus game uh, take was just a complete like early season throwaway take <laughs> offhand comment like, you know, you're in extra time. We're talking about 28 different teams. I'm watching you guys beat up on uh, on teams that frankly just looked hapless. And to credit to Austin, you made them look hapless, but they sort of looked like they were going to be hapless on their own. Uh, and credit to Cincinnati and Miami for some epic turnarounds. Maybe Austin can take credit for that, you know, really showing them where the where the season was going to lie if they didn't change their ways. Um, but I was kind of like, okay, well, all well and good, and and really what what led to is Austin fans being so it, being so loud about their excitement, <laughs> and I don't know what it was in me, but I was like, I just felt the need to tamp it down a little bit and to just be like, well, hold on, guys, like you know, let's not put the cart before the horse. Like these are non-conference opponents; they kind of, you know, frankly suck right now, and. You know, if, if you if you're a good team, sure you'd whoop them. And then bonus game was just one of those things where you're bantering on ETR and uh, or I'm just sitting bored in my basement. I'm like, hmm, I'm gonna tweet something here, and it just hit a nerve. And uh, that, that you know, it's never not hit that nerve. And every time I tweet about Austin, every time I use the word bonus and anything, it just sort of is a flood into my mentions. And the dopamine hit that uh, that is for, you know, we're all on Twitter for a reason. It's to interact with each other. It's to have fun. It's to banter. I don't take anything personally. I, I, I hope that other people out there aren't taking it personally for me. And so I just, it's kind of been like a test, you know, it's like you go to the doctor and they hit your knee with the little hammer and you see if you have the reaction. And like, 
I just tweet bonus game and just see if that leg is going to jerk up. And more often than not, it does. So it's, it's been super fun. The nice thing too, is that Austin has not only has the fan base got on that and really like embraced it and sort of like the us against the world, the club and the players certainly have as well. And uh, Felipe is my guy. I've known him for a long time. He's done instant replay with us after some of these wins, he's texted me and been like, you know, what's bonus about that? You know, how do you like that? And it's a, that's just so fun to me. And that's the sort of thing that I love about this league is that it, it's, it's something that can be big that feels small. And this whole thing has felt like it's not big. It's small. It's just for us. It's our little thing. And we all enjoy it. And even if you're the person yelling at me or the person joking with me or whatever it is, uh, it makes me smile every time I think about it. So I actually saw pre-court uh, at the all-star game. And he, I was walking by him on the way to a bus to go back to the hotel after I want to say the skills challenge. And he, uh, he flagged me down. He was like, love the banter, love the banter. And I was just like, man, we're getting to all levels, baby. We're getting, we're taking it to all levels of the Verde and Black. Pre-court pays attention to what's going on. He, I, I, he definitely followed all of that, but it's, it's been like, I, like as someone who's been listening to extra time for a while now. I knew that you were joking and like just like doing exactly what you said, but just like trying to get a reaction and have some fun. Uh, a lot of other people in Austin have only recently started paying attention to MLS because of this team. And some of them were ready to fight you. And <laughs> and I think it's kind of come, come around to where like once everyone realized it was mostly a joke, there's a lot of super funny and super creative people in the Austin fan base and like, not just with you, but with everything. And I think it's just, oh, I can it's tell. become like a really, a really fun thing now. Oh, I, I can tell. And I'm, I'm, uh, I think I tweeted the other day. Um, somebody said, Hey, come to Austin, watch out. You might get beat up. And I was like, I specialize in, in turning hate into begrudging love. <laughs> um, if I was to come to Austin and I, I hope to be there very soon, but maybe even this year, you got to make the run to the MLS cup, obviously, but, uh, next year, no doubt about it. Uh, I think it's just going to be, uh, it's going to be all love. It's going to be hugs. It's going to be beers. It's going to be laughs. And and that's the way it should be. I actually have a ton of family uh, in the Austin and San Antonio region and in Houston as well. Uh, my mom's side of the family, her, her father's twin brother basically raised his entire family there and she was born uh, in Texas. So I spent a lot of my early childhood vacations driving hours and hours and hours and hours from Kansas down to Dallas and then hours and hours and hours and hours. I mean, as a kid, it feels like forever driving through the middle part of Texas to get to Austin. So uh, I still got a ton of family there. Like I need to be there. I've talked to Ryan Manning, uh, Ryan Madden, who's the, the PR head. Um, I talked to pre-court about it. We, we did that live show in Minnesota and I cannot think of a city, a, a club, a fan base that I would rather do a live show in front of uh, and try to get that stuff <laughs> off the ground than Austin. I, I just think, buying beers for the, the fans of Austin FC and doing a live show and getting heckled. Uh, it would be one of the highlights of my career. No, about, no doubt about it. Well, I think you have plenty of people willing to do that. If, if, and when you come down. So what I, what I hear you say is Austin is bound for MLS cup this year. You've come all the way around from bonus game to, uh, to nonstop favorites to, to win the West. Um, uh, yeah, look, and if you, you, I, you're going to come down cherry pick some quotes out of there. Uh, you know what? <laughs> get, get yourself a good headline. I'm done. You know, <laughs> Austin is going to make MLS Cup, and if they do, we'll go down and do a live show. See, you got that first part; you just chopped that awesome. right out, and you're good to go. I love it, but I mean, what do you what do you think the league wide perception is of Austin now? Like, um, obviously, as one of those people who lived through last year and was deeply and deeply, you know, joyful about the way the first two games went, and then got offended anytime anybody said anything about 
my beautiful children and how they might not be perfect. Um, like I might've had that reaction too, but you know, now we're over two thirds of the way into the season. Like where, where do you see Austin sitting? I mean, they're for real. There's just no doubt about that. You can't, how do you argue that they're not, you have an MVP candidate, you have a system of play that I think, um, maybe had some, some, I don't think holes is the right way, but I just had an incomplete grade last year. And that's going to happen to an expansion team because the roster is incomplete. And I would still give large portions of this roster actually an incomplete grade too. Uh, whether it be some of the DP side of things, the U22s, uh, et cetera. But Austin has gotten, you know, in a league where you need to get 75% right to be a pretty good team, Austin has gotten, you know, 80, 85% right. And, and a lot of that grade comes from just Sebastian Driussi. And then it comes, I think, from Josh Wolf. And I think the, the job that Josh Wolf has done hasn't got enough credit. The identity that this team plays with, very clear when you watch their games. The way that they build out of, you know, build and create attacking patterns uh, and finish those patterns, the improvement that they've gotten from guys like Diego Fagundes and others, uh, you know, Stuver, although he's had a couple of rough moments late, lately. Um, I just think that, that what they've been able to do in their second season, it, you can't not respect it. Like it might be begrudging respect from fans around the league at times. Uh, there might be fans that think, oh, slow down, hold your horses once again. You're not as good as you say you are, but you guys don't care about that, right? Like, you're getting the results. You're having the party at Q2. You're seeing an MVP season unfold in front of your eyes. These are the things that you dream of as a fan, right? I, I still have question marks about the playoffs. And, and every team has question marks about the playoffs until they do it. There's not players on this team that have done it uh, in the playoffs. So that's, that's a big question mark. But they're gonna you're going to have a home game in the playoffs. You're going to have an MVP candidate, if not the winner of the whole thing. Um, you're going to have arguably the coach of the year in Josh Wolf, and I think he'll be a finalist. You have sort of the foundation of something really special, and that's just not on the field. That's the culture as well. And that's been one of the things that I think has been so impressive is just from day one, it's not like, you know, not like it took time to build. It's not like it took affinity uh, years and years to take hold. It, it just felt like the whole city, and this is coming from observational. It's also coming from talking to family and friends and other people that have gone down there. Um, I'm just sort of like awe at the way the culture has developed so quickly. And that's what you dream about for any expansion club. And that's not just Austin. That's not just St. Louis who are coming in. That's not, that's every single team that comes into MLS. You know, I, I've been doing this long enough that I covered a league that had basically 12 fewer teams. So I've seen this cycle play out a lot of different times. Uh, and, and all you're hoping for from my position is somebody who loves the game, who loves the league, who wants our soccer cultures to thrive, to grow, to welcome people in, to create communities that are an integral part of people's lives. And, and, and that's not just community like, hey, we go to a game and drink beers. That's community like I need help in my life or I need a friend or, you know, I, I feel supported by these people around me who I just happen to meet through soccer. Those things are growing all across the country. Uh, and you should be proud of, of the one that you're growing there because it is distinctly Austin. And that's one of the things that from afar that I notice, And one of the things that I just want to experience myself. Like, I, I don't want to have it be just Twitter banter with Austin fans. I, I want to be there. You know, I want to, I want to go to the taco truck after the game and talk to people about the results. I want to, you know, do I want to work the game? Sure. Do I want to not work the game and go drink beers and have a, a good time? I want to do that more. Like, and I hope that that's something that, uh, that we get to do very, very soon. And and look, if it is MLS Cup, I'll tell you right now, I'll guarantee we're doing something, man. We'll be there. We'll do something. Um, 
I think it would be a wonderful MLS Cup if it was in Austin, but there's a lot of a water that has to go under the bridge until then. And uh, I would just say enjoy every every drop of it because it's been a magical season and, and people around the league can't help but notice that. So I think on on extra time and then just in general, like people covering MLS, I don't know that many people are considering Austin FC as a uh, MLS Cup contender seriously. I I think some people have read that as like, I don't know, the like coastal bias or like big market bias or whatever. But I think you're right in that there are some holes in in this team. Like it's it doesn't feel completely. 100% complete. Do you think it's like, what is your, your response to the people who would say that like the media doesn't pay attention to the middle of the country as much as they do well, the real big market? I'm, teams? I'm in the middle of the country and I, I, you know, I've been on the East Coast for a long time in my life too. They don't. The East Coast and West Coast people don't look at the center of the country and, and like give it as much respect as it deserves or recognition as it deserves. But I think that, I, I think that Austin's getting a lot of credit. Um, I just think that people watch Austin's games and they think, wow, that's really open at times. Yeah. And that's, that can be problematic in the playoffs. Uh, it's not a very forgiving time of the year. And if you are open and, uh, you sometimes go down early, let's say even at home, uh, that may not be a time where the magic pops up and you dig yourself out. And then you combine that with lack of playoff experience. And, I think people just naturally around MLS sort of are like, oh, I'm a little skeptical. I, I would consider Austin a serious MLS Cup contender. I wouldn't consider them a favorite. And, and oh, by the way, I only really have two quote unquote favorites, like two teams right now where if you said, hey, Philadelphia Union won or LAFC won, I'd be like, all right, that makes sense, right? Like, you know, the Phillies got one of the best defenses in the league, actually the best defense. Uh, they just choke people out and they have a lot of playoff experience that they've accumulated as a group at this point. And they're, you know, their attackers are firing. They have one of the best goalkeepers in the history of this league and Andre Blake. It makes sense that they would, they would sort of cap what was last year nearing that run until COVID sort of diverted them against NYCFC and go get it done this year. LAFC are just overwhelming as far as their talent goes. And not just that they, uh, something Doyle said on extra time today, I think was, uh, was important to remember about them. They can get out and just whoop you and just pummel you the way they did Charlotte in the second half, uh, you know, what, like 10 days ago or something like that. But they can also just lock it down. They can also get, get in their, in their lines, in their shape, and just say, well, you're not, you're not getting into the areas of the field that you want to get into. Um, the thing I think about Austin, that, I mean, goal scoring, not a problem. No issues there. They have overperformed their XG pretty significantly. Um, but they've also done it, it consistently. Feel, yeah, it doesn't feel like that luck's running out. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I actually attribute a lot of that to Wolf's system as well. And, and Greg Berhalter had the same thing in Columbus. They just create a lot of really, really high leverage, efficient scoring opportunities uh, in the 18-yard box in front of goal. And when I say in front of goal, I mean basically between the posts. And when you have those sorts of opportunities, you are more often than not going to score goals that sometimes you may not even deserve. And again, it's a magical season. So the one concern I have for Austin is just, they go down early a little too much um, and it's open. So other teams are going to have space. Uh, and when you give playoff teams space, uh, you sometimes pay the price, but I, I would put them as a serious MLS cup contender. I would not be shocked if I was in Austin for MLS cup. I it's not a situation where I'd be like, Oh, I'm, I'm aghast. 
uh, it would it would make sense based on the way this year has gone and, and the the way the magic has just seemingly followed this team around. Yeah, I would, I would say like. I think that that question would stem from moments in the season where Austin had more points than Philadelphia, but people were still considering Philadelphia more of a contender. But to your point, Philadelphia has given up 20 goals all season. So uh, I think I mean, in, a, in a playoff Philly, game, Philly will just Philly like they're, they're the they're the team you don't want to meet in a like on a dark yeah, alley. They, I like, totally they agree. will win. They will win the knife fight. Like they will win the knife fight and and they're just hard and they're experienced in that way. And they have an identity as a team that I think is sort of forged over years and years of ultimately what amounts to playoff failure and us open cup failure. But those are the sort of things that come playoff time. Um, I wouldn't want to look across at, and which is not to say that I'd, I'd love to look across. I'd like be like, Oh, all right, we got Austin. We're in business. But with Austin, I do feel like that if you're an opponent, you're thinking, okay, well, there is going to be something, there's going to be space for us to work with here. It's not, we're not going to get choked out. And I think uh, that's where I think the difference between them and the union is. So we talked, we've, and we try to talk about this all the time about just like enjoying this season for what it is. And uh, like this run is already magical, no matter what, especially compared to last year to 2021. Um, And you've seen a lot of teams come and go and a lot of teams probably have early success. Like, where do you see Austin um, in terms of like sustaining this or the things that we should be doing to, to make this not like five years from now when Austin's terrible, like looking back on that one magical year of 2022 where we almost had it. I actually think, you know, when I said it's incomplete and I sort of pointed the DP and U22 side, I actually think that while that can be disappointing in the moment right now for Austin to look at and say, boy, I wish we were getting more out of these roster spots. I think that you could look to the future and say, oh, wow, we could get a lot more out of those roster spots. And if we do that with the core that we have, there is much more room for this team to grow. So I'm, I'm hugely encouraged by that. I mean, a little, you know, like some of the DP side of things have been disappointing for a number of reasons. Um, You know, I hope Rigoni is, I hope he is the piece that they need a little bit more of a, like I can create it myself. Uh, sort of attacker whether that be chances for others or or his own shooting opportunities because um, I'm not sure that that necessarily exists in the squad so Bergoni is the first sort of test for that and then I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens with the U22s I know there's been it seems like there's been a big storyline right lately on Rodney Redis uh, and then Gite. Gite's underlying numbers aren't terrible he's just he's just not finishing the chances that he gets onto the end of he, he just doesn't look comfortable in those positions um, and, and Redis no offense to him you know, he came in with a nearly $3 million price tag and you get in those U22 spots and, and people want to see something production at the very least development. It kind of seems like those haven't happened so far. And you could look to the player, you could look to the coaching staff, you could look to the situation. Sometimes the situation just isn't right. But if you're looking at those positions, I think you can credibly say like, you'd like to get more out of, out of those DP spots as well as those U22 spots. And if you can get more out of those down the line, that's going to be a huge key. The other thing I think this team has done that is very sustainable is understanding um, quality and value within the league. Maxi Aruti was a really smart signing. You know, he's a hot, 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 cold, cold, cold guy. But, you know, you ride those hot streaks and the cold streaks, he still works his ass off. Like, that was a really smart signing by Claudio Reyna and Josh Wolf. I thought Alex Ring as a foundational signing was a really smart signing as well. You go get draft picks like Denny Pereira and have the impact that he's had. Diego Fagundes is sort of the poster boy of this, of like a guy that just wasn't playing up to his abilities in the system. We didn't have the trust. 
that he needed to thrive. Will you put him in that system? He's still in the prime of his career and off he goes. You know, we'll see what happens with Kip Keller, but he could fall in that category as well. Uh, Stuver certainly does and Tarbell behind him. So those are good signs to me uh, for the future in a front office that recognizes and understands value within the league and how to go get it, who have absolutely knocked some of these VP signings out of the park. I mean, you can't do better than Driussi as an expansion team. I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm like, if I'm Austin, I'm trying to make Driussi my, my Valeri. You know, keep this dude for as long as, as humanly possible. Set up your team to make him thrive, and, and the club will thrive. Um, I think Alex Lima is another one to go to what we were talking about as far as like in, in league quality. So I think, I think Claudio, I think, the, Josh Wolf, um, I love the, the staff behind Josh as well. Uh, Davey R knows my guy. I just think that it's, it's set up to improve and then it comes down to individual decisions, right? Like process and the decisions that you make. And it seems like, uh, ownership is willing to spend and support the team when it makes sense. So yeah, I would be I would be encouraged. I would think that uh, it would be a disappointment if this was not a team that expected to contend um, going forward for as long as at least Driussi's in this anywhere near this sort of form. So, Andrew, you've been covering uh, you've been covering this league for a long time, and the league just signed this new huge TV deal with Apple TV. So we want to kind of get your takes on that. Like, what are the the positives here, and what do you think are the the biggest risks with this deal? Um, I'll start with positives because I think I'm not sure that I'm really even qualified to speak on the risk side. I'll speak on the positive side from um, strictly from a consumer point of view to start because I am ultimately a hardcore MLS consumer, right? Like I just watch a ton of this league. And so I see a ton of broadcasts. I feel the pain sometimes of people that like, I can't, you know, I can't throw on my, I don't get Valley sports here. Um, so I can't watch Kansas city in market. I have a workaround through, through my job, but I feel that pain of people are like, dang, I can't watch that game. Really the benefit here is that it's just one-stop shop, man. If you want to watch MLS, there's not a question mark of how you get it. There's not uh, a, you don't have to cobble together uh, a bunch of different streaming services, which I'm sure we all do in our day-to-day lives. I mean, God knows how many I have up on my Roku here for my kids, for me, for whatever else, like it's you pay, Whatever it's going to be, I don't know what it is, you know, for the MLS package with Apple, watch every game and watch it where you want to watch it, you know, stream it to your TV off your phone, have an Apple, you know, device attached to your TV, have the Apple app on your Roku. That's what all my TVs are Roku's, you know, run it through your computer while you work, while you're standing in line at the DMV, have it up on, you know, watch it in no blackouts, no nothing. You could travel wherever you want across the world. It's going to be a consistent experience and that's not something that we've been able to say with mls for a long time whether it be the way that that game is delivered where that game is delivered how you pay for that um, i think that is a huge step forward and i think it was really smart uh from the league office to do that and and the flip side of that too as well as i just love that season ticket holders get it for free i think that's just a really smart sort of perk and reward for the people that fill your stadiums who make the league what it is who provide the atmosphere that you know, changes our experience in every single match. Uh, so those are awesome. And from a personal perspective, I'm fascinated to see how the production of it all goes. You know, I'm selfishly, I want to be in, as involved as possible. I, again, I, I can't say it enough. I, I love the league. I love the game. I want to retire. I want to be an old man playing golf, um, you know, going to my grandkids' soccer games, talking about how this league was, 
you know, where it was in, in 2007 when I first started covering it, you know, and, and where it all went and all the people that contributed to it and, you know, all the fans and everything else and what it is now, Hey, you would never, you would never recognize this. And these are the sort of moves and, and deals that, that start to take us down that path. Um, so I'm, I'm hugely encouraged, man. I, like I said, risk wise, I, I just don't even feel qualified to, to speak on that. What, Does it concern what, you about at all about like, so I think for diehards, like I'm excited about this deal. People who like go out of their way to pay attention to MLS. I think this is a, a, a big win, but for does it concern you at all that there's not going to be anybody like stumbling upon an MLS game anymore, really? Or do you well, think look, that's, I'm always, that I'm risk always is speaking minimal? from the reports are out are out there, right? I'm not speaking from personal knowledge of anything, only the reports. But it sounds like it is still going to be on ESPN, FS1, you know, hopefully Univision. I think that the League's Cup, uh, people will groan when I say the words League's Cup, like outside of bonus game, League's Cup might be the two most groany <laughs> words that I say. I think League's Cup is going to be huge. I'm excited and I about think, it. I think League's Cup, I think especially in Austin, you guys should be excited. Um, I think League's Cup is going to be a sort of uh, gateway to a large group of people that love the sport and and like devote their lives to the sport, but may not have that connection yet to MLS. And at least for one month of the year, they're not going to have a choice. They're going to have to have that connection because their club is going to be involved. Uh, you know, I think that's a big one. And then I just think that the improving quality of the league is going to be impossible for people to ignore ultimately. And the generational shifts are going to help guide that along as well. If you're still going to be on linear, if you're going to have bigger stars, better stars, players making the jump from MLS to the EPL. I mean, if, 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 if you like EPL soccer, you know about Brendan Aronson now, whether you know about MLS at all or not, I just went on the MLS UK show. Like you can't ignore if, if you, you know who Jesse Marsh is now if you're in England or if you care about the Premier League one iota. You know who Tyler Adams is now. And ultimately, the more stories like that we can tell, um, the more that's going to ingrain in sort of the international culture of this thing and the more respect I think some of those people out there that, you know, we can call them Euro snobs or whatever, that just haven't been turned on yet, um, their eyes will open. But let's not let's not mistake ourselves. This isn't like a snap our fingers, everything is going to be where we want it tomorrow. Like everybody who loves this game, who's, who's putting their sweat equity into it right now. I mean, we all know this is a long play. Like we want to grow as fast as we can for sure, but we're not going to go leapfrog the NFL uh, tomorrow. Like we're going to chip away at it. I just think that the story that we're telling uh, slowly, but surely, and sometimes faster than I ever imagined is really compelling. And if you like the game of soccer, which more and more young people do and more people that are outside of like what, you know, sort of like the traditional, uh, let's say the traditional demographic is, is, let's say, there's a huge, huge audience of people that want this. Uh, and it's about MLS giving them a product that they want to be engaged in. And I, I think that the fastest way to do it, honestly, within your own markets is to take people to games. I, I have never met somebody who went to a game and was like, that sucked, don't want to go again. That's just never happened. Like you, you go to an MLS game, you feel something and you feel something different than you do at other sporting events. It's just, it's just facts. And this culture, our culture is obsessed with sports. Uh, I'm an optimist. I'm a glass, like completely full guy. I really, I really believe that I'm going to be retired. Uh, you know, hopefully playing golf a lot, 
hopefully uh, spending a lot of time with my grandkids if I have them and, and telling people stories about where this league was and they'll never believe it because it'll be so big that it'll just, it'll shock them uh, what those, what those memories were like from back in the day at that point. So we had uh, Adrian Healy on a few weeks ago and he was telling, uh, we were talking about the TV deal and he was saying, I mean, like, I know like a lot of the local announcers don't really know what their future is at this point. Adrian told us that they are like him and Michael Hooter still in talks with the club and still trying to figure out a way for, to keep them involved in this next season. Do you have any idea what the current like extra time crew, like all of the, the current contributors and writers and staff, do you have any idea how that's going to fold into what's, what's happening next year? I don't, man. I do not. And that is, uh, that, you know, that's obviously a question on the minds of everybody uh, involved in the media side of this game. I, I, I don't, um, I personally think that my work speaks for itself and, uh, I, I don't expect to stop working. So, but I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting time. Uh, I'll say that. And I'm sure Adrian and, and Michael are, uh, are feeling that as well. And there are a ton of super talented people around the league feeling that. And everybody's asking questions. I mean, that was the question on the lips of, of basically anybody at the all-star games. Like, what do you think is going to happen with, with Apple? Uh, and those, those answers will come out, uh, in due course from people that are, are making the decisions. Uh, I am, I am not one of those people. I'm just sitting back in the cut watching games, yelling about bonus games on Twitter and uh, trying to make this season as fun as and engaging as, as it possibly can be. All right. Well, let's get into, let's get into some of this culture stuff that we touched on it in the Austin culture. And I know you retweeted a picture of a guy in a speedo, that guy being Rico Hernandez. Ah, Rico. What a legend. Didn't know his name was Rico, but he is, uh, that's an intimidatingly revealing uh, choice of attire. <laughs> yeah, and those guys are in intimidatingly good shape. So if you come to Austin, will you wear a Speedo in the stands with Speedo FC? I've never worn a Speedo in my life, and I currently have no plans to wear a Speedo at any point uh, in my life, unless somehow in that retirement I'm like living on the, you know, I'm living on one of those like rock sand beaches in Italy, and it's just sort of like contractually obligated uh, for me to do so. But I. I don't have enough body hair to wear a Speedo, I think. Uh, you know, I, I feel like you got to to really, truly rock the Speedo. You probably need the gold chain and a little bit of body hair. But no, I, I'm, I'm in Orange Theory right now. My wife has me in the gym. So <laughs> you'll, I'm, you'll I'm be in Speedo yet, shape I'm, in no time. Yeah, I'm not yet prepared <laughs> for a public Speedo reveal, I would uh, I would say. I, All right. It, well, I'm, I'm a is, big Orange Theory guy, too, by the way. I just like a, a provost of nothing, but it's, it's yeah, my spot. No, it's, hey, look, this is off, this, off the rails here. Just a good hour. Don't have to think. I'm not a person who could go push myself in a workout by myself, but you know they grind me down, baby. So that's that's what I'm I'm looking for. Somebody to force me to work out as hard as possible, and maybe one day be in speedo shape. All right. So uh, one of the other questions we got was this one's from Brad Tillery. Since Austin is your new favorite MLS club, what would your customized jersey name and number combo be? Obviously, bonus game on the back. Um, I think probably the number eight, that's traditionally a, a lucky number, uh, I believe, and just for trolling purposes, just to explain <laughs> it to people when they ask. So I think bonus game eight is pr- that or bonus game two, because that would be a reference back to second year, as well as the two games the first that two really games. sort of defined, uh, the era. So I take it, back. I think bonus game two would be my uh, my personalized Austin jersey of choice. And you're going Verde and Black or the Sentimiento uh, Mint? I'm kit? going Verde and Black. I love the I think the Verde and Black is a it's absolute class. I really like that. 
Well, this this one's from like the Los Verdes supporters group collectively. Although I'm assuming, I think Derek Ensign's the one that probably specifically tweeted this. On a scale of one to Drew Ucy, how much do you love us? Um, I would probably say I'm. I think I, I think I'm. It's not Drew Ucy, but I would say I'm. I'm solidly Diego Fagundes. Um, hey, Diego, you know, we all like love maybe, Diego. That's good. Yeah, maybe last year, I, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know, I, I don't know how to feel here. But then this year, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, no, like we all, this is, this is wonderful. Like you can't help but be super happy for Diego. I still remember watching him as a 17 year old for the Revs at Red Bull Arena and just being like, this dude is the future. And then it just didn't quite go in that linear way that you know careers don't often go. Uh, so I've been absolutely delighted to see him thrive and to do the things that we knew technically he was capable of doing. So I, I'm a solid. Uh, Diego Fagundes level of excited for uh, for for and about Austin. And last year you were sitting somewhere around like Ben Sweat, Tomas Pochettino, or something like that. Uh, no, that's you know <laughs> that, that, maybe not. Maybe that's where maybe that's where you guys were at. I would say last year, last year I was a, I was a solidly Danny Pereira, which was to say like, hey, ton of promise here, but uh, still not sure how this is going to work out. All right, that's fair. Um, this one comes from Chris Wellhouse in a sometimes uh, guest host of the show. He asked, I'd love to know what's been the biggest holy shit moment in terms of growth of the league. Like what's, what's the, mo- the moment I know there's Ooh. a lot to choose from, but like, what's the biggest one where you're like, wow, this is this, this league is like m- not made it, but like it's going to, or it's like heading that direction. Uh, I think the first one, and I, I probably have, a, I probably have a bunch of these, but the first one for me was uh, opening game at uh, Sporting Park, like the first ever game there. And it was sort of a disappointing nil nil in terms of the soccer played, but the crowd was just absolutely electric. And I had covered the team at Arrowhead and I'd covered the team uh, as the Wizards. And then um, prior to that at, at Community America Ballpark and like interviewed Peter Vermees you know, in, in what amounted to like the, like the umpire's locker room. Like, you know, we would do interviews after games with Peter standing by a urinal. Uh, and so <laughs> to have sporting park open and to see the level of investment, to see um, sort of the level of interest explode in Kansas city, I thought to myself, well, if this could happen in Kansas city, where when it was the wizards, especially in the later years where the ownership transition, where nobody really cared, you didn't see gear anywhere. You didn't hear anybody talking about it. It was truly like, the diehards and very few others to witness that become basically a citywide obsession. You know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say they're on the chiefs level. Like, you know, come on, the chiefs are, are everything in this city, but uh, everybody knows, everybody cares, everybody follows who likes Kansas city sports. That was just such a huge cultural shift that I thought, Oh, if that could happen here, that can happen literally anywhere with the right ingredients. And it can certainly happen uh, when it comes to expansion. Uh, one of the other ones that sticks out to me is MLS Cup in Atlanta. That just on us, that felt like on a different scale of anything that I'd experienced before. Uh, just the amount of people, uh, the, the way the city that entire week was about one thing, and that's MLS Cup. And that's not always 100% the case. But man, Atlanta was just buzzing that entire week about their team, about MLS Cup, about the opportunity. And then for them to, them to win it, I remember standing up at the top of the concourse uh, pregame during like the whole ceremony. I want to say like Bobby Warshaw was with me and Kalen Carr. And I think Matt Doyle was there. And we all just sort of looked at each other and said, I mean, holy shit. Like 
never in my life would I've expected something like this. Yeah, to sell out the same uh, venue it, that hosted the Super Bowl, I think. Yeah, it and later it just keeps, year, it keeps or, going yeah. on that. And, you know, there's moments like SoFi. I talked about Leagues Cup, like SoFi, the crowds that were there for those Leagues, uh, Leagues Cup showcase matches. Like, those are little instances of it. Uh, but I think I think the transfer windows always do it to me now because every yeah. transfer window is bigger and crazier than the last one. This recent I, there was transfer a time in this window league, is insane. Yeah, there's a time in this league where I remember covering a DP signing for Kansas City. It was like Jefferson, who nobody even knows who that dude is. Like, he was a nobody when they signed him, but it was like this big deal. He was a designated player. And now you see the DPs just signed. You see the, the transfer fees just being thrown around. You see the transfer fees going the opposite way to Europe. And it's just sort of like, oh, okay, this is at a scale that was unprecedented before. And I still think we are just dipping our toes in the water. So uh, those, are, those are a couple off the top, I think, that are uh, pretty like, oh, okay, like th- this is, this is going to be different. It's, it's going where we hoped it would go. I like Mateo's question, because I don't know if you don't even remember this, but the uh, parking lot, when, when, when they won the, the, um, the Copa Tejas oh, yeah, yeah. No, and like, oh, celebrated in the parking sick. lot, that seemed like not typical. Like, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of these in my life, but like, yeah, was, I mean, I think, was, um, I think, I mean, it's obviously not the first time something like that's ever happened, but I just, I don't know. There Again, to go back to what I was saying in the beginning about sort of these, these fan bases and cities that sort of make their own brew as, as you know, how they support the team that just felt like one of those things where it's like, okay, well, there have been celebrations in parking lots before. But that one felt like only Austin fans would do it in that particular way. Um, and I loved it, man. I, I love that 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 they that you guys cared about it in that in that way, that it meant that much to go, you know, to go to Frisco and take that that trophy and rub it in their faces a little bit. I love that it was a like a communion of fans and players. Like those are the best moments, right? Like it's cool to do it. It's cool to do it as a fan group, but like when you feel that energy and connection from the players at the same time, uh, that just cements everything. So Mateo also added this in, and I don't know that this made uh, like penetrated national attention, but Alex ring was like ready to fight an FC Dallas security guard for disrespecting some Austin fans. <laughs> He like uh, hey. stepped up to him and had to be pulled up, pulled that's, away from this. See, guy. and that's, that's <laughs> you have to cut that captain's armband off that man. Uh, you know, th- these are the sort of things that I mean. Like when I say building a club culture, like you know, those are things that you'll never, other people won't know, but you'll never forget. And and what makes me excited is to look around the league and have 28 places where that's happening, soon to be 29, and you assume 30 as well. And we're just in the beginnings of it, right? Like. Those are just going to accumulate. That momentum is only going to build your connection to the team. You know, and look, things can happen in professional sports. Things can wane. Things can happen in your life. But um, the connection to communities is only going to get stronger. And that's where this league, I think, to go to what your question was on like, okay, well, what happens without that mainstream exposure? That's where it starts to take off. All right. Well, I think this is a good spot to end it. Andrew, thanks so much for your time. We got to get you down to Austin, man. And like we said before, it's all banter. It's all good fun. Whenever you come down here, I know the people are going to treat you very well. Well, look, I can't fight. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we, that's just a, that's a fact that I've never been a fighter. So uh, we'll, we'll find a way to love it out. If you feel, uh, if you feel so inclined Austinites, but uh, I, I look forward to sharing beers soccer memories and some good banter uh when i come down not if when i not if i come down so you know maybe this year maybe next year 
yeah, I'll, I'll be seeing you. I'll be well, seeing you. Thanks, we'll, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. We'll see it. if we can get you into the South End and, and experience a beer shower under the green lights and then maybe get you on the capo stand or something like that. Oh, uh, there we go. I'll just I'll have to put on my uh, put on my like uh, my disguise so that way I can get an experience like a real fan. But yeah, no, I'm I'm down to I'm down to I still I, I won't even comment on the flashing green lights that have grown on me. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to get there and I'm excited for what you guys are experiencing this year. It's not over yet, so just keep uh, keep riding the highs and uh, and know that this is just this is just year two. That's the beauty of it. This this is gonna be around forever. All right. Well, thanks, Andrew. We appreciate it. All right. We want to thank Andrew Weeby one more time. And we would like to uh, ask you and remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter at LVAHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX. And then at Moontower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. Sign up for the Patreon. Uh, you get to make us ask questions. You get some cool swag. Uh, I have some that I need to send out that have been sitting there for a second, so I apologize about that, but I will get that out ASAP. We also uh, did another order of shirts, which we haven't really been talking about, but we do have more shirts available. Not a lot, but some. So if you're interested in a shirt, you saw, you've seen folks wearing them out and about, uh, and think they're cool. We do have some more available. So you can go to moontowersoccer.com and find those. And then um, you can go to the striker and where you can get a 30% discount using the code moontower22 with a capital M, moontower22 with a capital M. Jeremiah, what can folks look out for there this week? Yeah, this is a little bit like last week. It's just nobody else has the type of coverage that the striker has. So Chris Bills has an article uh, about Rigoni's arrival in the press conference today. And then there was a pretty good, um, oh, it's Chris again, wrote a Verde Notebook article where he talked after the Minnesota United match to every single member member of the back line about what kind of went wrong because um, Conte owned his mistakes. Gerberson talked about the way things happened. So there's just like nobody else has a type of player access and input that the striker has. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review the LAFC match and then preview the Portland and Nashville matches and then cover any other Austin FC news that happens. Until then, I'm Lane Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never... La gente... Oh, my God.